All right, we are back on the one in this academic life, and we are joined on the phone by Drew Magary. Did I say that right, Drew? It's McGarry, but that's okay. I don't want to hold it against you. All right, that's all right. And I hope you're enjoying the uh, blizzard conditions over there in the States at the moment. They just, they flattened me today, and then, so I was so happy because they, they freed, like, my car and stuff. But then they kept plowing, so every time I, every time I plowed out the driveway, like, they kept putting more snow in front of it. So then I turned totally ungrateful. I was like, stop plowing! So but I'm at you now! I remember as a kid, though, when they plowed, you could make, like, amazing sled ramps and things with the plow, but my parents hated it. They would just be like, it's never going to melt! But we were, like, ramping <laughs> sleds and stuff. It was awesome, you know? So, again, snow is great when you're eight years I mean, old. I grew, I, I grew up in Minnesota, and, and we would have, like, winter just, like, the snow just stays. So you had this big snow drift on your driveway. Then, like, like as, as winter would go on, it would just get icier and dirtier and just, just disgusting. And, like, and we were still replaying on it. And that kind of, like, marks, like, a, just a mound of gravel that you're just rolling around in. And your parents like, oh, God, please, uh... uh. Do you know what's funny is like uh, I'm from Kentucky, so when you say Minnesota to Kentuckians, they'd have no idea where that is. It's just some great northern area. But here, I'm living in New Zealand now. And That's there's, true. There, there's heaps of people from Minnesota here. I mean, it's unbelievable. I know like seven people from Minnesota. I never met one in my life. And in New Zealand, there's about seven of them. I know. Really? Why? Why are they down there? I don't know. I guess because I'm in a university town, so I guess. Uh, they come and uh, they're just like well, Minnesotans are intellectuals in Scandinavia of America or something. So they come here for the for the benefits. Now, is, it, is it hot down there right now? No, is, is, no. Is Australia hot, like hot summer? No, no, it's not at all. It's like uh, about fifty degrees Fahrenheit all the time. So no, it's not hot. So, but people think it's well, hot. It's like, it's like San Francisco. Yeah, like exactly. San Francisco summer, like it's like exactly. It's actually misty and rainy people. and everything. So it's just like San Francisco. Um, it's beautiful though, like San Francisco. So I have that. Oh, and I wanted to say before we get started, really, is uh, happy Australia Day. Did you know yesterday was Australia Day? So thought I'd let you know that. Happy what day? Australia Day. All what day? Australia. Happy Australia Day. Like the country Australia. Oh, <laughs> is that is there an Australia? I only we only lived there four months after I was born. So everything's lost on me. Like, I don't even have the accent, which kind of sucks. Like, if I had the accent, I would have done better with ladies and stuff like that. That's it's true. Real, ladies real love accents. Well, Drew, there's probably people listening. No, go on. Sorry. Right. I, didn't want to talk too, I didn't want to talk too much about my Australian heritage in case I didn't know if the rivalry was real or not. You know, I want an angry Kiwi being like, ah, he's Australian. Uh, it's, a, it's a bit real. It's a bit real. I think it manifests itself more in rugby and sort of, um, I think people just think Australians are kind of assholes here, you know, maybe. But it's also that can Canadian-American type of rivalry going on, I think, a little bit. They, I got it. Yeah, they get along well enough, but right. there is definitely, like, they're not going to hate you for it. But um, there might be some stares. I don't, I don't have, I had zero antipathy at all towards either country. I would love to visit New Zealand, do the whole, do the whole Lord of the Rings tour, do all that stuff. I would love to do that. Yeah, That's on my bucket list. Yeah, it's a great place to visit. It's a great place to be. One good thing about for you as an Australian citizen is that when you come here, you're automatically a permanent resident of New Zealand. So you can just stay. You can just come and stay. So you have that up your sleeve. I used to have uh, like a, I used to have a passport, and I don't have it anymore. But I still, I still think like if there's like a nuclear war with China or something, I can, I can escape, which I would never do because there's tarantulas and stuff in Australia, and I fear all their huge bugs and kill a jellyfish more than I fear global thermonuclear conflict. So, 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 so I'm going to be 
I mean, we'd be too lazy to make a 20-hour flight to avoid nuclear annihilation because I just I don't want it bitten by any snakes or anything like that. Yeah, fair enough. Although it's it's a bit overhyped, the, the threat. But, you know, Drew, there's people listening to this, and they're like, who is this guy? So you are a writer for GQ and Deadspin. And, um, Correct. I don't want to harp on this too long, but maybe because uh, there's a lot of NBA fans here in New Zealand, and they might be interested, they might not be aware of Deadspin. So if you could just sort of give a quick overview of what Deadspin is and what kind of content they might be able to find there, and then, you know, it's a good chance to plug yeah, your website. Sure. So Deadspin is a sports blog, and we cover basically cover anything sports related. But we always like to whatever's fun, you know, fans being morons. Uh, you know, uh, uh, if an athlete sends you know Snapchat picture of his own private to a, a girl, and and somehow that gets on the internet and stuff like that. Any any sort of sorted fun business we can we can put out there, we we do. And then we uh, there's also some. Some serious journalistic stuff that gets done. I, of course, am not part of that. It's the actual journalists decide to do that. Like uh, Cowboys, Greg Hardy um, uh, assaulted a woman, and uh, and photographs finally came to light, and we were the ones who uh, procured them. Uh, so there's sort of a, it's sort of a mix of, of serious stuff, but then just anything we think sports fans might be interested in that, that, that ESPN or certain rights holders may not talk about, so they don't want they don't want to make. Uh, the, the people that they have rights with angry or anything like that. So we, we do our best to do that. And then GQ is GQ. So. Yeah, so that's a totally different kind of animal. You're right more, would you say more political stuff for GQ, or is it still sort of just a, a blog type? Uh, I do I, I work for the, I do print and web, and for print, like I've done, like I do celebrity profiles like Chris Pratt, Kid Rock, Motley Crue. I did the Duck Dynasty um, uh, profile that made a lot of people mad because they said about the uh, bad stuff about gay people. Um, uh, I did. I, I followed Donald Trump supporters. Um, so there's some. I'm, this is a big political year here in America. So mm. there's been a lot, lot more political writing. But that that sort of ebbs and flows. Doesn't happen all. Doesn't happen that much. So sports, culture, anything, anything, anything fancy like that, I'll, I'll do for GQ. Yeah, I want to quickly touch upon Trump. I know that you're probably sick of hearing it, but as an uh, American passport holder here, every time. Um, any anytime a discussion comes up in America, the people want to know about Trump. They say, and then I listen to <laughs> Kentucky talkback radio as well, like Kentucky sports radio and some of the local stations there, because my parents still live in Kentucky. And lately, people have been calling the show in Kentucky and actually singing like love songs to Trump. I'm not even making this up, like Kim Jong Il style, like Trump will save us. Trump was our hero, <laughs> and it's you know it's like this fetishization of like a Putin like figure in the Midwest, and people. Always ask me, is this really going to happen? Like, I mean, do you think this is really going to happen? Is he really going to be president? Uh, no, I don't. I don't think so. I, I mean, it's it's funny because you, you can tell world citizens are like, is that is that going to happen? Like, are, are you actually going to elect that crazy person? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and it's funny because you know the media here, you know, the the political media here is, tends to be very officious and tends to. Um, tend, tends to make their predictions the way they would want things to go. And so Trump is confounding them and annoying because he's saying he has no shot, he has no shot, he has no shot. And his poll numbers keep getting stronger. And I actually saw him speak live in Iowa. And I'm by no means all that conservative a person. I'm a member of the hated liberal media here. Um, but, you know, I understood Trump's charms in a certain way. Like, he's, he's just very, you know, unpolished and... All the all the standard cliches that people say, where they're like, "Well, he gives real talk, and he's not a real politician." Well, that's all utterly true. He's also a liar and a phone, and I don't want to impress him. <laughs> but, 
I could I could sort of sense the appeal on a very very superficial level because I think people here tend to be very dissatisfied with government, and anyone who talks big talk about just walking in and kicking Congress in the ass and forcing them to do all this stuff that, that they aren't really going to do no matter who's in charge, that people always sort of gravitate towards that. So I think that he'll keep you know he's doing better and better, and he may even secure the nomination, but I don't think he would uh, win against the likes of Hillary Clinton or somebody like that. Yeah, or I don't think he could be Hillary. Maybe Bernie. I don't know. I, I really don't know. But when you go, I, don't, I probably don't think. I don't. Think, yeah, I don't think you'd be Bernie either. But uh, but I, I, it's, it's funny that to the world be like, oh God, please don't, please America, <laughs> please don't do that. I think they kind of look at it sort of like you know one of those like Chinese videos of a of panda or a bear eating a monkey. It's kind of entertaining, but like in reality, you don't want to see it. You know, it's sort of. Um, but you've been to a Trump rally, and do you look? Are the people there believers, yeah. or are they actors? Because you know you hear some stories trickle out that he's paid a lot of people to go and whatnot. I mean, do these people really believe this stuff? Because I'll, I'll watch Trump, and I think he's a clown. Well, I, went, I, I went in Iowa, which is the place that has the first sort of unofficial primary, even though it's a very, very weird sort of process. Nobody understands it, uh, and a lot of people were either either in the tank for Trump, or they wanted to be part of the spectacle. Um, or they, um, or they were people, or they were like registered Republicans who wanted to go see all the candidates because the candidates make all the stops in every town in the state. Uh, so I would not say that there are any paid sitters there. I, there wasn't any like paid crowd people there. I mean, it wasn't. The, the other thing is that he can't overstate the size of his crowds. Although now they're, they're certainly growing, but um, you know, in the beginning he would say, "Well, there's five thousand people in the other one thousand. They would all be there." You know, willingly. They weren't like paid extras or anything like that. You tend to overstate the totals anyway. But there are, you know, he does, he gets a good crowd because people know, because I think people sort of want to see what the happening is, you know, even if they don't like him. You know, I, I ran into a Bernie Sanders supporter in, at the Iowa rally. She's like, yeah, I just want to give him a fair shake. And I was like, did you like him? And she's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, it's totally bizarre. The whole thing is bizarre. Um, do you, do you think, I guess it'll be interesting to see because the the when the you have these high poll numbers for him, but then we'll see when the poll actually happens. When is the Iowa caucus? Is it next week? Uh, yeah, I believe it's next week. Like so, if people will actually vote for him, or this will this will be the ultimate test if people are just bluffing. Because I always had a theory that people are just bluffing just to make the news more entertaining at night. You know, if they just want to tell pollsters something to make the liberal media's heads explode and. So we'll see if they're actually telling the truth. The math troll. The math troll, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, uh, it could be. Um, what now they say that um, Ted Cruz, the senator, uh, is in front of him in Iowa, and so he could easily uh, pull second, but he's way ahead in New Hampshire. So all these early, early sort of bellwether contests, it's it's weird because the past two Iowa caucus winners were guys, uh, I believe it was Mike Huckabee and Rick Santorum, and they didn't pan out. So it does. it's funny. It's all this sort of hubbub. Over something that is, you know, that represents, you know, point zero zero one percent of the U.S. electorate, electorate isn't, isn't a very good future indicator of what's going to happen next. So I, I really don't know. Yeah, um, I kind of want to touch upon as well, or move away from politics a bit into your writing because one thing I've noticed and I like about your work is that you're also. Uh, I think I said this to you in an email. You're kind of you go beyond just sports writing because you've written a couple of books and. Um, yeah. You know, because American sports media is so strange. You have, like, Bill Simmons, who is insanely popular, even in Australia and New Zealand. You know, I've been in the Outback and heard people listening to his podcast with his dad talking about the Patriots. It's really bizarre that he gets paid $10 million to right. do that. And, um, but you, you kind of 
I, I guess I say you're you're not really either brow. You do sports writing, then you do a really quite a, uh, emotional, I guess, or book about fatherhood, and then you can also do like poo stories of the week. You know, so you kind of touch upon all brows. I mean, is that something you've done by design, or is that just you just kind of let live and let live? I guess is the question. I think whatever uh, whatever idea sort of strikes my fancy, I try my best to sort of follow it and do something that I think people want to read. And actually, I grew up, uh, since I grew up, but um, my first job was advertising. Mm-hmm. And advertising, um, you know, I'm advertising is evil and it's in its own certain ways and, and annoying in others. But one of the things it does, if you write ads, you know, you usually have to balance between tones. Like something has to be funny, you know, for some, you know, jerky ad. But then it has to be serious or you're doing a hospital ad. So you're using all these tones, you know, depending upon what the message is and what you want to convey. So I've always sort of carried that into when I do, you know, books and and online and stuff like that. You have to be able to write everything, especially now, especially for writers now, because so much of the work is all freelance based. I'm very fortunate where I'm 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 contracted to two places, and that's a, that's a nice bit of security. But for most writers, they you know now it's a freelance gig, so they're getting paid piece by piece. And so if you're only writing one type of thing, that's not, you're not going to be able to support yourself. You have to be able to do everything. You have to do books, screenplays, serious articles, investigative journalism, opinion pieces, just anything you can get your hands on, just so you can keep hustling and, and scrap by. So that's where I sort of came from, and I just sort of kept that. And now, to the point where, um, you know, when I'm writing during the day, if I ever get stuck on one thing, I can sort of multitask and go to another thing and and... and Sort of keep momentum going, so it's, it's, it helps me to sort of bounce between tones and projects. Um, this is technically like a postgrad show, so for there's a lot of postgrads out there who are finishing master's theses and twenty thousand word essays. Like, do you have any advice for any of these? Because a lot of these people aspire to be writers, do you, and and in the creative fields, would you offer any advice to people looking for writing work? Like, how how do you go about being a successful freelancer? That, well, I think a lot of it is obviously. You know, there's a networking aspect to it. You know, as many people as you know as possible. When you're writing out there, you know, I started off at Deadspin as a commenter. You know, I was commenting like that. And this is back in the day where, like, the comments would lead to your personal blog, so people would read your personal blog off of it. it does, the comments don't work that way anymore. But, um, you know, anything you do to put yourself out there, uh, you know, even at first, you know, you're, the thing, the thing that, that scares people off is they'll write something bad, and they'll get, they'll get bad feedback from it, and that kind of makes them want to quit. Uh, and the truth is that you just have to power through the bad writing and, and, you know, post it anyway and accept the feedback and keep getting better and better. I think the more you do it, the more reading you do, too, um, you, you hopefully just get sharper and sharper as long as you're willing to take that criticism. And, you know, it's like acting. You're going to get rejected a lot. You're going to have to have the, the thick skin. And the other thing is that I think people get, especially now, people get paid for voice. You know, if you have a, a writing style that's, so distinct that people can usually tell it's you even without looking at your byline. That helps a lot, too. Um, you know, not in an annoying way. I mean, you know, it's not going to work if, like, all, you got all your eyes with happy face of other comments. But it's like, if there's just, if there's just an inherent you-ness that comes through in the copy, I think people find a lot of value in that. It's hard. It takes time. But, um, you know, the more you're right and the more influences you take in, the more that sort of spit out. Mm. It's a bit long-winded. No, that's fine. I think that's a very true point, though, about uh, criticism, because I'm, I'm working on a dissertation, and I've had little success. I've had things published here and there, and uh, my 
first draft of my dissertation was just, I mean, somebody ripped my asshole out, basically, about how bad it was. And you have to just take that criticism, and it hurts, but you have to kind of use it as fuel yeah, to make it better, you know? And I mean, so. I hate it. Like, like I get ads to a book, and I, I hate the edits, and I was like, oh, I do that. They won't write anymore. They just want to go have a beer or something like that. Mm. Uh, usually, usually you know, most of the time when you're rewriting stuff, I've, I've rarely had an instance where rewriting makes something worse. It always makes it better. Yeah. Um, so, you know, as long as you, you're getting, as long as you're getting uh, feedback from people that you trust, that, that you, you know, whose opinions you respect and stuff like that, I mean, don't just hand it to, like, you're in, like, an eighth grader, you know? Yeah. <laughs> or somebody whose Twitter like, account is, like, somebody. Donald Trump's hair or something, you know? So. I think, and the other thing is that, um, you know, just to make, just to have some awareness of the reader, you know, I think, you know, I, I went to college and I was a creative writing minor and stuff like that. And one thing they don't really tell you is, you know, usually a lot of times it's like, oh, write for you or write for yourself, express yourself and stuff like that. And that's not really true. Like, if someone has to read it. So, you know, do your best to have them in mind and, and write something that they don't want to read, you know? Like, if you're, you know, I think, well, I have a friend who does, like, screenplay stuff in Hollywood and, you know, his number one thing is, you know, what's, is there anything keeping me from stopping reading this, you know? Is, is there a reason, you know, yeah, give me a reason to keep going, so... Yeah, and I think there's this myth that writing is really romantic and you're really creative when really writing is editing and sitting there in your bedroom yeah. like with junk food piled around you and in your sweatpants and just editing and editing and editing. That's what I find true writing is, is actually just editing stuff over and over and over again. But um and I I like to end on a couple of things. One is um we have the big, uh, in America anyway, the Super Bowl coming up, and um, they actually show it in New Zealand. Yeah. They show it, and I know you're a big football fan. I didn't grow up in a football family. We were, we we're big college basketball people. and um, Sure, Kentucky, yeah. Oh, yeah, we love it. We love our cats. You know, that's how I talk to my mom. It's like my mom and me will talk about zone defense. It's kind of bizarre. But, um, but they have ads here. They show the Super Bowl, and uh, they'll say, Super Bowl, at this pub and people will go and they last about three and a half minutes they have a few beers they get excited the game starts and after the first yeah three minutes everybody leaves they just walk the fuck out they're like where is uh you know this is really boring so as an american as a football fan you can tell us aussies and kiwis how do we watch football this pretend the super bowl is our first game how do we watch football i think it's really hard because i have kids and my kids don't really understand the rules yet and i think it's it's the rules have grown more Byzantine because they tend to change them every year. So I think it's very hard, it's hard and harder for newcomers to come in. And I don't mean that in a pedantic sort of way. It's just, it's an annoying sport to learn sometimes. I think, um, you know, all, all people really need to know is, you know, the, the longer the pass, or the, you know, the longer the run, the more exciting it is. Yeah, you know, and just look for big hits and stuff like that. That's really all you need to know. Yeah, I think it's a very, I think American football, as they call it here, or gridiron, is a, it's kind of a cultural thing. It's in the winter. It's cold. There's multiple games. It's just on TV in the same day. You mm-hmm. sit and you watch it because it's freezing. You know, it's freezing cold outside. So I just think that plays a lot into it. That culture of Sunday afternoon. I think that's a big part of it. Or Saturday afternoon if you're a college football fan. But um. That doesn't it really... is, and you know, like, like I did a, I did a semester abroad in England, and like I wasn't a big soccer guy, but like I watched the new, like I went to I went to bars to watch soccer games. It was so much fun, you know, cause just the environment. Like people are just so jazzed, and it's just you sort of you you understand it. You have an inherent understanding of it when you're in the sort of native environment for it, you know. Yeah, and uh, to me, football is like having barbecue with my brother when I go to visit home, and 
that's football. It's like that actually just hanging out with my brother, you know, more than the actual games itself, which I don't really get if I happen to see a game here on TV. I find it a bit obscure. But, um, well, that's, well, I was going to ask you, what are you working on at the moment? Anything you, you want to plug, as they say, in the industry? Actually, um, uh, today was the day uh, my publisher um, revealed the cover. I have a, my second novel's coming out. It's called The Hike, and that'll be out in August. Um, and if you just if you just search my name and and the hike, uh, there should be links pop to pop up places yeah. and you can pre order. If you're really that intent on pre ordering something seven months in advance, but otherwise I'll I'll just tour it later on. And your first book, I you know it's funny because there's a different name here in New Zealand about the oh uh, it's um I'm trying to think of the New Zealand name. It's about the um, this is really bad. I forgot the name of your book. The one where the people can live forever if they take the medicine and live forever. Um, yeah, the British name was the end special. That's it. it the end special. Weird, but it just happened. That's a great book, actually. I really enjoyed it. Uh, yeah. And um, you're also on on doing radio now, doing podcasts. Is that right? I'm sorry. You're doing podcasts as well. I am. Yeah, we do. We do a podcast, although um, our, our you know we have old man dad tech problems, so it's always a little bit sporadic. <laughs> yeah, I know it pops up sometimes. <laughs> But uh, and you're you're contributing so we can find your work at deadspin.com and gq.com. Is that right? Anywhere that's that's the two main ones. Yeah. All right. Thanks for having me on there. Yeah, no worries, man. It's been fun. Thanks for taking the time, and uh, I hope you enjoy the snow. Cool, cool. See you, man. And that was Drew McGarry on from deadspin.com and gq.com and that was quite a long conversation hopefully that'll be up on the website soon and I'll post a link to all of his uh, writings and send links to his books on www.r1.co.nz you can access that on the program page just look up uh, www.r1.co.nz under this academic life